Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show. I'm Rob Starr, along with Mr. Uh, you know who his name is? We all know his name, Mr. Chris Davy. Chris, how are you doing today? We're doing great, buddy. I think, you know, I think we got a slice of Arizona sent to us here because we're, we're in triple digits. And it's like being in a microwave. I keep, I keep putting a potato in my microwave and pressing the pizza button, but it still comes out as a potato. Well, you can put it on your put, put it on put it on your truck's engine and it'll cook real quick, or just put yeah, it on the hood uh, of the car. <laughs> it's 107 seven here today. Uh, probably going to be a little bit warmer in the next hour. Uh, very sunny. How's it there? How's the weather out there, temperature wise? The same. We uh, we're into triple digits, but it's you know like 101, 102 kind of thing. So we're not uh, we're not as high as you, but we've got some uh, extreme temp- temperatures coming for the weekend. Uh, you know, I was kidding about. About your name when we when Mike Barron was on the show years ago, we I did the same thing and we I put a contest out. Somebody who first person calls in and, and can tell that's right what that's right. what his last name is. He gets a fifty. They get a fifty dollar gift card. It would be Mike because generally Mike did the first ten minutes of the show from his car anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. He never made it to the studio on time. So that was that was a good thing. So uh, I want to bring on uh, one of our famous stars, even though that's not her last name. Uh, Ms. Chris Austin, who's the purveyor of Bavis Notebook. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you all doing? How's the weather where you is? Hey, you know, it's just 97 degrees. It's not wow. bad. So, like, we're we're like, you know, it's it's chilly outside, practically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's hot up here in the North State, uh, but, uh, but it's very, it's still very pleasant. We, you know... I don't think anyone in California can really complain about the heat because it's our our friends and neighbors out in the middle part of the country and the southern part that are really having to deal with some gnarly heat issues. So, Absolutely. you know, um, I feel for well, you if you're out there. Well, we all do. I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about your uh, California Water Library project that you're working on. and, and yeah. The, uh, so about that, and, and then we'll bring us up to speed. Yeah, I have a I have a number of websites. Maven's Notebook is only one, but I have this uh, website called the California Water Library, where we have been digitizing documents and and gathering ones that are already digitized and and putting them up in this water library and making them available. And we have some special collections that are going to be coming online soon. So I think it's really a great resource, especially in this age where a lot of the state agencies had to remove a lot of things from their websites because they weren't ADA compliant. Uh, but, you know, that that is a requirement now for state websites, but I am not the state, so the Water Library has no such requirement. And we were smart enough to pull off most of the articles that got dropped when the state had to only have ADA-compliant materials on their website. So there's a number of things there that you can't get anywhere else, and and a number of things that I scanned especially for the library. So 
you know, if you want to kind of get a taste of California water history, I invite you to check it out at cawaterlibrary.net. Great. That's a good thing. So let's bring us up to speed on some of the uh, unique things that are happening in uh, California with, uh, with water. Oh, there's all kinds of things. Kind of a sad story headlining today that uh, they did some testing and, you know, Lake Tahoe has, uh, you know, an alarmingly high amount of microplastics in the water. And this is really the a, a big environmental problem that uh, nobody in the United States or anywhere else in the world has really stepped up to the plate, at least in, not elsewhere in the world that I know. But, you know, microplastics are everywhere, and they're in the air, they're in the water. They they found them at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Um, they're in snow because they're in the atmosphere, and then the snow precipitates and comes down through the atmosphere, and it brings microplastics around it. Um, there's a, a tremendous amount of microplastics in the ocean because there's a tremendous amount of garbage in the ocean is that as it decomposes, it turns into microplastics. So, and fish eat the microplastics. So they, there are studies that say that every person is eating about a credit card worth of plastic every year now. Um, and... No, I, I don't see anyone uh, stepping forward to take care of this problem. And, you know, it, it, I think this is going to be the next, big, um, the next big pollution problem that we're really going to have to deal with. Um, and, you know, it just, it, 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 it's kind of hard, you know, to say this. I really try not to be political, but there is certainly a movement on the national level that to kind of, you know, move away from uh, the EPA and less regulation. But the problem of microplastics cannot be solved by a state or by a city. It really needs, like, it needs to be solved on a national level and really on an international level. So as we think about pulling back on our regulations, I think we also have to think about the pollution problems that we have and how are we going to solve them. Um, the microplastics is one, PFAS is another, tire, shred, tire shreds are another huge, you know, pollution pro problem that we're just getting aware of. So, you know, we have some real challenges out there. And, you know, I'm not seeing at this point how we're going to get them solved. Um, especially yeah, yeah. if we don't have a national agency in charge of solving them. Yeah. You know, we talked last week about uh, Lake Tahoe, where people left at the 4th of July, and they left tens of thousands of pounds of trash all over the place. So, you know, people, I just don't understand how people just can't pick up their trash and put it in a the, in the, in the place to deposit it instead of just leaving it all around. Or I, I don't... I don't understand that either. And, you know, I have someone in my family that seems to be convinced that the government pays people to pick up trash. Oh. And I can, I can assure you that they do not. Yes, sometimes they have inmates out on the side of the road picking up trash, but there is no trash pickup problem 
you know, that the government is, the government does not pay people to pick up trash. We're expected to do it ourselves. And, you know, in a lot of places, we're really not doing a very good job of that. You know, no. and, and it lands in places like Lake Tahoe, the trash lands in the ocean, which contributes to the huge trash problem that we have in the ocean, you know, which is substantial. So. Yeah, that is true. I also saw that uh, some of the California Senate Democrats are moving forward with a bill to chip away at historic water rights. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, water rights reform has been getting a lot of attention in this legislative session. Uh, one of the bills is uh, they pulled back and it's going to be a two-year bill. So there were three bills going through, and so uh, one now is going to be two years, so they won't be working on it right now, but they will next year. Um, and the one bill that moved forward is, uh, I think, SB 389. Uh, and so, you know, people are, people are very concerned about, uh, this water rights uh, legislation, um, you know, and and what this is, this particular piece of legislation is doing is is it would give the state water board the ability to to uh, research water rights. Uh, the state water board doesn't have authority over anybody's water right that was established between nineteen. Before 1914, when the state water board itself was established, uh, and so these people have water rights, or they say they do, and the state water board doesn't really have the authority to investigate. So, you know, it's it's an attempt to make uh, the water board a little bit stronger, a little bit able to enforce the the laws that we have. Um, and, you know, I guess I, I can certainly understand if you're a water user uh, and you have a water right, you probably would not be interested in having a stronger state water board that can, you know, rule things. Although the people with water rights that have water rights should, I, I would think, would want to have a stronger state water board that can protect their own water rights. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, you, you know, do you think they're they're going towards eminent domain type? Situation? Oh no, 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 no! That's not what this is about at all. Although some people may try and think, you know, try and well, say that. No, that, that's why I'm asking that question. Yeah, no, and there's no eminent domain in here. It's just trying to clarify water rights that people have, and the the laws are set up kind of strangely. The water board itself can't go out to someone and say, you know, we don't, we're not sure that you have a valid water right. Please show us your documentation of your water right. Um, you know, they they can't do that themselves. However, if I'm on a river and I say, you know, I think, you know, my neighbor here is is illegally diverting water without a water right. I can ask for an investigation, but the state water board itself can't ask for an investigation. So this would give them the authority to ask for an investigation of a water right. Um, the people are, you know, people are concerned. Oh. Understand, Chris? Yeah. You got some questions? Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Rob. You know where I'm going to go with this, buddy. I know, I know you do. Kind of try and get us off some 
heavy subject here and talk to a little bit of something lighter. So, you know, I've got a really big interest in the fisheries in California, the waterways, and uh, support that a, a, a great deal. So when I when I turned on the Maven's Notebook this week and I saw the banner, I mean, not I didn't have to dig for this, right there, Chris, in the banner, it says, you know, the notebook feature, California's unnatural river flows threaten aquatic life, right? And the the story was interesting, even even though I got to say it was written by, you know, some guy in New York, Robin Meadows. But nonetheless, <laughs> he had a very... Well, very it's uh, a she. It, it, it's a she. Let, let me... The, oh, do let me correct okay. you. It's a she. Yes, Robin Meadows. Uh, yes. And, yeah, and she lives in Fairfield, uh, yeah. California. Oh, Fairfield, so. California. So, yeah. Okay, but continue, so, please. So absolutely redeemed her endlessly banished honors there, right there. <laughs> but I just thought it was comical the way it was um, the way it was written, and you know, obviously she's kind of maybe back from the '60s or something. But um, I found the interest, the article really interesting, right? Especially when they were talking about um, how it affects the hydropower, uh, the seasonal flows depend on all the, you know, uh, rivers and dam management and stuff like that. So much different from what we see in the news from what's happening back east with all the floods and you know, rivers that flow that more freely than California ones do. I just wondered what your what your insights were. Yeah, you know, and actually Rob made a comment as we were signing off a few weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, nature restoring something, and and I think I can't remember the gist of it. Uh, I can't remember the exact word. The gist of it was, you know, um, yeah, nature can restore itself. And and I and yes it can, but but it, in a lot of ways it can't. And you know this is I mean we have to get realistic here in California. We have a dam, at least one dam, on virtually every river and stream in California. Um, there is only one river or maybe two that that run free, that do not have any dams on them. So what that means is there's at least one, but in many cases several, hands-on knobs that turn on, to, can turn on the river or turn it off. We have really changed the way water flows around the state. It's not at all like, uh, like nature intended. Um, right. you, you know, sometimes, you know, <laughs> I, I remember many years ago I wrote an article about how California gets its water and I and I said something it, it started something to the effect like California is a fraud. It's a beautiful fraud. You come out here and you look at these cities and you look at what we've done and it all looks just great, but it's completely unnatural. You know, Los Angeles, the size of that city should not be there because there's not, not near enough water to support that amount of development. And, you know, we have run water all over the state. Um, you know, Tulare Lake used to be bigger than Lake Tahoe in the San yeah. Joaquin Valley, and it's not there anymore because we dammed the rivers. We stopped the water flowing into the lake bed so we could farm the lake bed. Um, you know, we have uh, we have fundamentally changed the way water works around this state, and it means that 
we're going to have to manage not only the water, but we're going to have to manage species as well because they're, everything is now artificial in a sense. Somebody has a hand on a knob, uh, you know, we we have to, um, we're going to have to manage nature uh, from now on in into perpetuity because we've changed the system and it's not yeah. the same. And, yeah, you know, where we're going. Yeah, I think yeah. we're going with that question, right? Answering answering that is, you know, the most thing I'm impressed in most that you, that you knew the, you know, life will find a way, which is the Jurassic Park, right? That blue, uh, gold bloom famous. Thing. So that impressed me right there, Chris. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we just we're, it, it's just going to be something that we're just going to have to do if we want to have salmon in our waterways. We're going to have to manage them. We're going to have to manage everything. Uh, you know, and and that's what makes one of the things I think that makes California water so hard um, because you do have to manage everything. <laughs> you know, um, and it's. It's just going to be difficult going into the future, you know. Other places in the nation, maybe not so much, but here in California where we have altered this environment, we've altered our rivers, we've done so much to our environment, we're going to have to manage it. Um, we don't have a choice. Yep, or it will manage it us. Just, yeah, for so. me it was just a juxtaposition position because I think when I read that article right after I turned on the news and it was, you know, all the floods in Vermont and, and the Northeast and I just went, wow, what a what a weird difference one coast to the one coast to the other. Yeah, and you know, they're trying what one of the things that article is talking about are the ways that they're trying to mimic nature right. with our right. infrastructure. You know, like dams is not a natural thing to have on the landscape, but dam doesn't act like a river. So, you know, the, the dam holds the water, but the river is used to having high flows and low flows and, you know, the first flush and all those things. So it's a, it's important to uh, to try and mimic that with a dam to the extent that you can. Um, the species know it's not there. They're well aware. Well, we've talked about the first most interesting thing in California. What's the second, Chris? Oh well, I hear Millerton Dam is 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 uh, filled up. The Millerton Reservoir is filled up to the brim, and yeah. and the dam is now spilling water over the top of the dam. Which and what I found was very humorous is they called it controlled overtopping. And like when the well, when the water is so full in the reservoir that is flowing over the top of the dam, uh, you you do not have any control. <laughs> it's not controlled. Yeah. That's the whole problem. Um, and the interesting thing with Millerton Lake, we're talking about Friant Dam that's on the uh, outside of Fresno. Um, the reservoir is actually small for the size of the watershed that feeds it. So, you know, they have to do a lot of watching the level very carefully. And sometimes they even have to drain the reservoir, you know, a bit before the water melts and comes down. And so if you actually look at the reservoir level, you'll see that there is a point when in the season where they draw the reservoir way, way down because they got to make room for the water coming in from the mountain, you know, from up above. 
And this year has been a very challenging year, and I know they've been trying to get as much water as they can out of Millerton. But, yeah, Millerton is now spilling over the top. This is not, you know, while I don't think that this is posing any safety problem, I don't think, you know, people need to be worried that the dam is going to fail. Nobody is saying that. But when you have water flowing over the top, then, you know, it could it could impact downstream communities, uh, you know, that weren't expecting that water to come. Um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's a sign that, you know, there was a lot of snow up there in that, you know, in those mountains, so. Still, yeah, still. Still. What about, what about the groundwater management, uh, mismanagement, I should say, that's hurting farmers and food suppliers that are putting them at risk, I hear? Well, yeah, you know, groundwater management, that's, that's a really tough issue. And it's just tough for everybody um, in the San Joaquin Valley because they have to bring these groundwater basins into balance. And they've been withdrawing significant amounts of water every year more than what's being recharged that's how we got into this situation and uh you know the it is sigma implementation sigma is the sustainable groundwater management act it's our sort of acronym for that um it's it's hard it's going to be hard it's going to be painful um yeah it means that about 20 percent are the estimates about 20% of the land that's being irrigated in the San Joaquin Valley is going to have to um, be fallow, 20%. So that's a pretty significant amount. And, yeah, people talk about the food production and and what this is going to mean. The flip side of that is that if you continue to pump the aquifers and you pump them dry then we're then we don't have anything coming out of the san joaquin valley so i i kind of think that you know that people just are going to have to accept that this this transition is going to happen but it's very very hard and i feel for for the folks in the san joaquin valley because um, agriculture is part of the cultural fabric of the San Joaquin Valley and is going to have to shrink. Um, there's just no other, there, there is just no other conclusion that you can draw. Um, and, you know, we can't continue drawing the aquifers until they go dry. Um, cause then everybody, everybody loses then, you know, so. It's hard. Get, I think I mentioned last week we're trying to get uh, one of our friends, uh, author Seth Siegel, on the show because he's he's been writing about all the excess pumping of aquifers and how it's going to change the rotation spin on the Earth, which could uh, be devastating. But uh, that'll be an interesting conversation. So, but Chris, we appreciate you coming on every single week, and thanks for your insight. Uh, good about the California Water Library information, but for our listeners. Please go to mavensnotebook.com. Uh, you can become a, a subscriber and get, get the same information that we get every single day about the, what the crucial issues are in California. You can also become a sponsor if you'd like. And it's a great way to start your morning and, and learn about stuff that you don't really read in the newspapers or hear on the news. Chris, I don't know how she sneaks in all these things and behind the scenes at the meetings. and She's like a, she's like a ninja. She gathers all this information and then types it all night long and, and uh, 
How's it ready for everybody in the morning? So, Chris, we thank you very much for that. All right. Well, good so, evening, everyone. Good evening. Have a great and week, we'll, Chris. Yeah, we'll talk to you next week. And Mr. Davey is not going to be around next week. He's uh, going to be on an airplane flying overseas. So uh, it'll be you and me, and uh, it'll be a good show. So thanks, everybody. Stick around for our, our featured guest that we have coming up. It's going to be very enlightening. And we'll be back after our commercial break. So stick around. KCAA Loma Linda. The legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Are you presently part of the irrigation industry as a worker or business owner? Do you want to learn how you and your staff can boost your knowledge and productivity? Then you should check out Irrigator Technical Training School. Irrigator Tech is the leading source of quality instruction serving all facets of the irrigation industry. Their courses provide a basic, easy to understand approach that raises the skill level, competency and professionalism of landscape and irrigation personnel through practical education and services. Irrigator Tech combines classroom and real-life hands-on training, leading to a well-recognized certification that both customers and employers demand. Irrigator Tech's specialized courses can help you quickly become a certified irrigation auditor or a certified installer, repair, maintenance, or backflow technician. Courses also include certificates in smart water application or becoming a certified tree worker. Most importantly, all certifications are state recognized and Irrigator Tech offers annual renewal classes to help keep your certification up to date. So whether you work in California, Washington, Oregon, Nevada, or Arizona, there's an Irrigator Tech class near you. For more information on how to jumpstart your career, call Irrigator Tech toll-free 866-614-1755 or visit them on the web at irrigatortech.com. That's toll-free, 866-614-1755, and on the web at irrigatortech.com. KCAA. second half of the Water Zone Radio Show program. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm your host, Chris Davey. I'm along here with uh, Rob Starr, the ever-present and ever-knowing Rob Starr. Uh, hope you're doing okay, Rob, over there in Arizona in the sweltering heat. Um, just want to make a comment here because July is Smart Irrigation Month, as most of you know, so I'm going to see if we can help the Irrigation Association out here because 
Um, July is also really, it's, it's a peak month for outdoor water use. So now's a good time to evaluate your sprinkler system, right? So doing a really quick and easy audit, it can help you detect leaks, uneven watering, all of, uh, all of which wastes water and can also damage your lawn, right? So visit irrigation.org slash SWAT, SWAT, Smart Water Application Technologies. There you can find a bunch of information. You can even look for a certified irrigation auditor and contractor if you need help. And after you do that, right after you do that, go to smartirrigationmonth.org and you can find a bunch of resources about the July Smart Irrigation Month. So there you go, Rob. Take it away. I know we got a great guest coming up. Absolutely. We have a special guest today, as we always do. Uh, we have a, a wonderful, uh, I call her a wow person, and that stands for Woman, Women of Water. Uh, it's Mary Ann Dickinson, and she was the founder and president and CEO for 15 years of the Alliance of Water Efficiency, which was a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the efficient and sustainable use of water in the U.S. and Canada. And now she heads up a consulting firm as the CEO of Dickinson Associates, and she specializes in water efficiency programs and also serves as the executive director of the California Irrigation Institute. Now, I know Mary has been in, at least she says she's been in the industry for 40 years, but she looks 29, so I don't know if she's stretching it out there. Uh, <laughs> professional experience in the water field and is an active member of the International Water Association and Water Loss uh, Specialist Group, as well as the past chair of the IWA Efficient Urban Water Management Specialist Group. She also served as the president of the board of her own local water utility. And this is a lady who has real experience, real knowledge, and she's down in the, in the dirt and the water fighting for everything to save water and use it more efficiently. So I'm going to introduce the wonderful Miss Mary Ann Dickinson. Thank you so much, Rob. I appreciate the introduction. And thank you for inviting me to be on your show. You're very, very welcome. So one of the things since we have new, we have more and more listeners since the last time you were on, which was a couple of years back, maybe you can just give us a brief history on what made you go into the water industry? What, what drew you to that? So that's an interesting question. Uh, my, my degree is in environmental planning, and I spent the first 20 years of my career working in state government as a regulator back east. And um, water was part of the program's that the Department of Environmental Protection managed back in, in Connecticut. and um, But eventually I decided to go to work on the ground working for a water utility because that's where things were actually happening. And uh, I did a conservation program in Connecticut. It sounds weird to say that Connecticut would have a conservation program. But they had a drought in the uh, sort of mid-'80s that was decimating their reservoir level. You know, back east, the reservoirs are all small capacity because they get enough rainfall that they're always replenished. It's not like the large reservoirs out west. So when the reservoirs got down to 25% of normal, everyone panicked, and the legislature passed a requirement that all water utilities that serve 10,000 or more customers had to do a mandatory conservation program. So I was involved in helping design that program and getting 67 utilities all together working on it. And um, we launched it on Earth Day in 1990, and it was, the, to my surprise, I discovered it was the first statewide conservation program in the country. And uh, Metropolitan Water District heard about it. They heard me uh, speak about it at one of the conferences, and so they offered me a job to come out and do that kind of work in California. So in 1992, I moved to Los Angeles, and um, I, was, I was amused listening to Chris Austin's comments about uh, Los Angeles and not having the resources to support the development. 
Because when I came from New England to Los Angeles, I felt like I had come onto a space station. You know, everything was imported from someplace else. You know, yeah. nothing seemed to be indigenous. It all came from somewhere else. And um, so it was It was a real lesson for me to learn the whole, all the different ways that water is managed in the West, which is with riparian law, it's very different than appropriative law. So I, I had to learn the whole uh, Western water law system. But I did water conservation for the Metropolitan Water District, and then um, I got drafted to go up and uh, be the first executive director of the California Urban Water Conservation Council, which was uh, a group of water utilities and environmental organizations working to do enough water conservation to try and prevent uh, drought shortages from uh, resulting in state regulatory action, which ironically, after all the years later, it, it ended up happening anyway. I mean, the world we're in now is the world where California is regulating and will be requiring water utilities to reduce to a certain targeted level specific to each agency of how what their efficiency should be in both indoor and outdoor uh, water efficiency. So um, when I was in California, I kept getting calls from all over the country, and we decided, gosh, you know, there's a, a real need to have a support network for water efficiency like there is for energy efficiency. We need one for water efficiency. So we created the um, Alliance for Water Efficiency. It was founded in 2006. And um, Mayor Daly, who's then mayor of Chicago, uh, invited us to come and uh, be in Chicago because that would be sort of the center, a good epicenter between Canada and the United States uh, to be located. And so we opened the office in Chicago in July of 2007. And uh, I was the CEO and, and um, you know, manager of the, of the programs and, until I retired a couple years ago. But I've always wow. been involved in the California Irrigation Institute. It's, it's a wonderful organization that has the urban water utilities and the agricultural water districts working together on, on efficient irrigation practices. I sat on their board for probably 16 or 17 years. So when uh, I retired from my job, they asked me if I would run a conference that they hold every year in February in Sacramento. And so I'm, I'm involved working on that. So it keeps my hand in the water efficiency issues that I care so much about in, in California and elsewhere. You're going to keep your hand in the what water to make sure that it keeps going straight for us. So we need we need that <laughs> desperately. <laughs> desperately. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let Chris jump in. I'm sure he has a couple of questions. Chris? No, uh, good segue there for sure. Uh, hey, Marianne, it's awesome to have you on the show again. About time, right? It's been a while since you were on here the first time. That, but, um, yeah, I'd like to welcome you back for sure. I mean, you and I have crossed paths a couple of times. I've been to, you know, several, I can't remember how many, at least a handful of places where, uh, where you've been speaking and and uh, been on boards or been on panels or whatever the case uh, the case might be the Water Now Alliance for example things like that. Um, so here's first here's the first question for you. So from the standpoint of um, where where right now the um, where right now your focus is for uh, CAII, a great website by the way because I looked at it uh, before we came on the air. So what's the you know, what's the purpose, what's the drive, what's the mission behind the uh, California Irrigation Institute? So the California Irrigation Institute was founded in 1962, and it was founded by mostly agricultural, uh, you know, stakeholders, the Farm Bureau, uh, the various agricultural water districts, uh, the Department of Water Resources was involved. And the whole purpose of the organization was to hold an annual event where 
scientific information and research could be exchanged in the irrigation field to make sure that, that California was utilizing the best and most available information on uh, efficient water use. And up until probably about, I would say, um, late 1990s, it was purely an agricultural irrigation organization. But at right. that late, in the late 90s, uh, urban uh, board members were added. I think I was one of the first urban uh, you know, water agency board members that was added to the, the board. And now it's, it, the board is half and half. We have half uh, urban water agencies and half sort of agricultural stakeholders. And we work together on where irrigation management can, can benefit both sectors and how ag and urban need to talk more closely together and not think that each is stealing each other's water. So it's a, it's a great forum to have those kinds of, of conversations and to share a lot of uh, groundbreaking research that occurs, not just in California, but all over the world. We bring it uh, to the California Irrigation Institute Conference. So it's been running a conference every year since 1963. And um, I like to say it's still, to my knowledge, it is the only conference, two-day conference in California where both urban and ag talk with each other about efficient irrigation practices. And uh, so it's, it's a great little organization. I'm really Well, I know that involved. too well because uh, in my own career, I left, uh, I left turf irrigation to become an Aggie for a while. And that was like, you know, that's like, no, no, you don't do that, right? So, so I know the crossover is tough sometimes. I, yeah. I also know that you said you've been on the board before, but you're also a past president, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the presidency swings around board, all board members do a turn. So as a board member, I did a turn at, at being president. And now I'm, I'm basically staff to the organization. I, I basically put together, um, you know, the website's a new one, actually, that we just put together last year. And our, our next conference is going to be February 26th and 27th in Sacramento in 2024. So note those dates and, and please plan to come. Um, there's a You can sign up for our mailing list at www.caii.org. All right. Awesome. Rob, you got anything? Yeah, I was going to say the last time I attended the CII was years ago and with the, one of the state senators who helped draft AB 1888. Uh, Marianne yep. was there. And, and and I know you know um, Inge Bisconer? Yes. yes. I remember Inge very well. We miss her. She yes, we great, do. Great yeah. board member of Yeah. Absolutely. And, and she presented a paper at that time about rebates and how if the, if the USBR gave more rebates for the ag world than residential, they would have saved like 20 to 30 times the amount of water. And I thought that was pretty impressive that uh, she did that report. And uh, I still think that's a big area. Now, I've, I've just been reading some articles about smart irrigation for farming and how that, you know, for the, for the big farms, we spend a lot of money and build and grow a lot of crops. They're really into the technology, uh, but I think some of the smaller family-owned, smaller uh, entities can use some help in, in rebates to getting some of the new technology. Is is that something the CII talks about and 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 can kind of work with uh, agencies to help that push that forward? Well, the California Irrigation Institute is a is a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization, so we don't advocate, so we don't like testify at the legislature. Oh, okay. But I personally have been very involved over the years uh, 
rattling the cages in Sacramento and saying we need more money. You can't be passing all of these requirements for reduced water use or, or cutting back, you know, state water project or, or CVP deliveries to farmers without helping them deal with how they can still grow a crop with, you know, a very small percentage of water now available to them. It, there's a real financial investment in water efficiency that has to be made. And if you invest in water efficiency, it's a much more cost-effective investment than investing in yet another reservoir. I mean, yeah. there's lots of um, there's lots of copy these days out in the media about how we need more reservoirs in California. We should have ca- captured more of our atmospheric river, you know, flows. But if you look at the the major water supply reservoir chart, um, you know, on the on the web, um, you'll see that there are reservoirs that still aren't yet full to historical averages. I mean, Trinity Lake is still below historic average. Uh, Lake Sonoma is still below historic average. Uh, you know, um, Diamond Valley Lake is just barely at historic average. So we still have room in these reservoirs. Even Shasta still has room in it. Um, and New Malonis has room in it. Um, so there's it's not that we need more reservoirs. They would be very expensive. And it would be a much more cost-effective investment for the state of California if they invested in water efficiency in both the ag and urban sectors. And so that's that's the message that, you know, the speakers who come to our conferences often say, you know, they, they, they incentives need to be um, initiated to not only promote better research, but to promote fuller implementation of irrigation practices. And that's something that, you know, we, we all support. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about a, the conference. I mean, I know how important it is uh, for people, and I know with it. So, so I message, uh, I watched the message board as... Um, you know, as we're as we're on the area, and a couple of people asking, you know, where's the conference? On I heard you say that, but I, some people don't uh, don't always hear it. So maybe you can oh, repeat sure. where it is again and tell us a little bit about it. Like, you know, who, what can they okay. expect when they go there? I know you get leading water industry ex- experts and you know people like that, farmers, and you talk about uh, products that are coming up and things like that. So can, kind of give our listeners the uh, a bit better overview if you can. Sure. Uh, okay, so the, the the conference is held every year. This in 2024, it will start on Monday, the 26th of February, um, and run uh, till lunch the next day, Tuesday, uh, February 27th. What we do is we have sessions where the urban and ag folks talk together, and then we have separate tracks where urban and ag have their specialist presentations on topics of great interest to them. Um, the conference is always held in Sacramento. We used to have it, uh, move it around the state, but we found over the years that, again, when you when you have 60 years of conference experience, you sort of figure out where people <laughs> tend to gravitate to. So we have settled in Sacramento because we get a lot more of the state folks participating. Um, so we, we hold it at the Hilton Arden West in, in the Sacramento area, and uh, that's a great home for us because it has the ability for us to have a lot of exhibitors who have their new products uh, available to, to showcase and to um, talk to the attendees about. And um, this year, we're going to be talking that the conference theme is still going to be picked by the board. We have a board meeting in a couple of weeks. But one of the things we talked a lot about already is artificial intelligence, AI. How is that coming to irrigation? What are we seeing in terms of trends there? And so we're, we're probably going to have some industry experts talk about that. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have state officials talking about the latest in regulation. 
um, because that's always a great concern. You know, what what do water districts have to be reporting now and what, what's going to be the new requirements coming down the pike? What What's happening at the legislature that might affect irrigation management going forward? Um, so they're all going to be topics related to uh, water policy in California with a focus on irrigation, but it's also water policy because, you know, everything that's legislated ends up affecting irrigation in some way because it means um, there might be limits set on the amount of water that can be used for irrigation yeah. purposes. So um, so the conference is meant to, to sort of be a, an update on what the latest is, what you need to know this year that's happening in this field. Sounds great. I uh, We'd love to come up and cover that and broadcast from there as well, get some of the people on. I think that would be very worthwhile. It's, it's, I've been to a couple of them great. yeah, over the couple of years, and they've just been awesome. And uh, but also, I, I also noticed that you have some uh, suppliers uh, set some exhibit tables up around the room also. Yes. Did last yes. Time, so. We have, we have a, a number of terrific firms and companies that, that market the latest, greatest irrigation products, but also water districts, Bureau of Reclamation, Department of Water Resources. We have a Simis booth. We have a lot of, um, you know, information available. We, we had, last year we had 27 exhibitors. Uh, so that's a fairly good crowd of, of exhibit tables, and uh, they were all really interesting and very good. And um, and we, we, we had um, Carla Namath, uh, the DWR director, she was our opening keynote speaker, at the 2023 conference, and the theme of the conference had been, how are we going to cope with continuing drought? And about the time of the conference, suddenly we had all these huge rainstorms and snowstorms. Uh, and as she said, we had 19 atmospheric rivers since December 2022. So we changed the theme of her talk to, from one extreme to another, how do we manage it? And, and okay. people were really interested in what she had to say there, because that's exactly what water management is now in California. It's managing one extreme to the other, and you need to be prepared no matter what's going to happen. Is this going to be an El Nino year, or is it going to be a La Nina year? What what are we going to find out, and uh, right. are we going to be hope? Oh. Um, so we had great attendance at the conference in 2023 because she was talking about some of DWR's plans. So we will continue to have representatives from state government who will talk with us so that you know, the industry and the water districts will have a sense of what's coming down the pike to them. Excellent. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. I'm not, I'm not a political guy, but let's just say I was, and I had influence on Newsom, and I would whisper in his ear, or I, well, I wouldn't whisper in his ear, but I would talk to him face-to-face and say, hey, Mr. <laughs> Governor Newsom, I think you need to hire somebody who has experience in the water industry, somebody like you, okay? <laughs> Meaning me. Meaning Mary Ann Dickinson, and I want to give her the title of Czar of Water of California. And <laughs> what would be the three top issues that you think are the most critical for California? And I'll make sure okay. you get a promotion and more pay. <laughs> well, so yeah. since we're in fantasy yeah. land, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm going to give you my 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 wish list. If, if I were, if, if I could fantasize myself in that position, what would I wish for? The first thing I would wish for was a real state investment in water efficiency in both the urban and agricultural sectors. Because as you mentioned, Inga's paper points out that people think that that agricultural efficiency should just be able to pay for itself. 
just like people think, well, urban water utilities, they can just raise the rates and, and pay for it. They don't need state money. But at the same time, the state is saying to all of these districts, you, you need to keep water affordable. You need to make sure that water rates don't get so high that, that the that low-income households can't afford the water anymore. So you can't have it both ways. You can't fund efficiency investments to meet the kind of legislative targets that, that urban water agencies in particular are getting without some sort of state support for the statewide benefit that it provides. So money for water efficiency would be my number one request. But my second request would be credit for the energy saved. When you save water, you save energy. We pump water all over the state of California. We have a lot of energy that's used in pumping, in treatment, in, in collection and wastewater treatment, and then return to the, to the discharge point. Uh, the California Irrigation Commission uh, has done, I'm sorry, the California Energy Commission has done a lot of research over the years to document how much energy is embedded in the water that we serve in California. And um, Frank Loge at the University of California, uh, Davis, uh, Center for Water and Energy Efficiency has made clear that, gosh, you can save more energy by conserving water than you can by funding energy efficiency programs. There's a billion dollars a year that goes to fund energy efficiency programs with the investor-owned companies, and the water utilities get nothing like that, but yet they're saving more energy. So why aren't they being paid for the energy that they've been saving? Because it's actually even more affordable. You know, Frank's data shows that you know, energy utilities uh, are, are paying 38 cents a kilowatt hour for, for energy saved, whereas they could get it from water conservation at 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So a better connection with water and energy credit for and payment for the energy saved, credit for the greenhouse gas emissions that are saved, that would be something that I would love to see. Um, and so those are two big things that I would love to put on the table. What about what about the infrastructure? Because you know it's so old, like the pipes and things. I mean, there's so much leakage from that all over the state. What what do you think about that? So leakage needs to be uh, fixed and recovered. Uh, you know, there's a bill that was passed in the legislature, SB five five five, that is now going to require water utilities to report reductions in that leakage. And because that water is pumped so much, and that the zones are all pressurized. Reducing leakage saves energy and therefore saves greenhouse gas emissions. And there's an international effort now to quantify how much energy and greenhouse gas emissions, how much carbon can be saved by by fixing leaks. And so this is all something that's now coming together. It's not just about saving water with leak recovery. It is about saving energy and saving carbon with leak recovery. So these are big issues that are currently being worked on, but there's no credit given to water utilities for anything like this. And there needs to be some policy passed. Either the legislature or the California Public Utilities Commission needs to say, okay, we're going to give water utilities credit or money or both for the energy that they save in, in all of these um, programs, both consumer um, efficiency programs and leak reduction and uh, water loss. Uh, improvements in their distribution systems. Well, you're you're spot on. Do you want me to call Gavin on the phone now or later? Or uh, <laughs> let, me, let me know. I'll make do it. I'm, call. I'm here for you. He's on. He's, he's on my speed dial. He's on my speed dial. <laughs> Chris, any any follow up questions? 
Yeah, I just I do. So just as the last minute, right? I was just passing through the notes and 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 uh, just realized we didn't ask Marianne a very important question. So at the conference, you have you there's a award to give out, Irrigation Person of the Year. So can you tell us about that real quick? Yes, every year we give an award. It, it varies. One year it's given to someone in the agricultural community. Another year it's given to someone in the urban community. As someone who's been a leader in in promoting policy and, and new technology development and who's really made a difference with what the work they've done. And last year we gave the award to Dr. Stuart Stiles at, at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Ah, Stu Stiles, he, yeah. Stu Stiles was, it was long overdue that he, it was time for him to get that award. And so we were really pleased to recognize him for all the years of service that he's given to irrigation education in uh, the state of California. Oh my gosh, yes. When I was beginning in this industry, I even took classes from two styles, right? Oh, so, um, yeah. If you, if you don't know two, you know, you don't know who, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Well, we thank you right, very bye. much for, for, for coming on the show. We appreciate the good, good update on you. And uh, like I said, you're a wild woman. So uh, <laughs> I, 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 respect, I respect that. And... Uh, you, you just keep fighting the fight, and you're doing a great job, and we appreciate you coming on. And, and we'd love to come up and, and do something with the show, uh, of the show at your event as well. If we that can. would I'll be I'll stay in touch. That'd be great. Yeah. yeah. So th- thank you again on behalf of me and Chris, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking to you shortly again. And just, yeah, just Rob, let me know when you have it on the phone. What's the website again, Rob? <laughs> what's the website again? The website is www.caii.org. And uh, we don't have the information on the conference up yet, but we will be adding information. You can sign up for our mailing list, and we'll be sending you information about the details of the conference as they emerge. Great. All right, we're going to have to say goodbye, turn it over to our uh, big boss, NBC News, and uh, our, and again, thank you very much for joining us, Maria. Thank you for having me. And remember to all our listeners, the most important thing that Chris and I always want to tell you before we leave is please help keep keep our planet planet blue. All right. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great show. Have a great weekend. Be safe. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Shook. A prolonged heat wave baking the Southwest is expected.